ServiceNow thrives in any environment where you find departmental processes and workflows. A classic example of this is higher education. What does it take to be a developer and architect in higher ed? Well, today's guest shares her story. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and of course, all the curious individuals that are out there. And I always say that with the utmost love and respect. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. I think that friendly lady voice just said that. But I'm going to add value by telling you what she didn't. This is the show that brings you the latest tools, tips, and tradecraft to accelerate your career. And in this episode, I've got the pleasure of talking to developer and ServiceNow architect and ServiceNow developer MVP, someone who will really add some value to this show, Nia McCash. How are you today, Nia? I'm doing okay today. I'm, I'm a little nervous. I've never been on a podcast before. So this is a big deal for me, but I'm happy to be here and I'm otherwise good. How are you, Chuck? I'm doing well. Thank you. This is just a conversation between a couple of friends. So think nothing of it. It's, it's as if we were standing around at Knowledge, just having a cup of coffee in the morning. How's that? I tend to speak quite quickly, though. <laughs> Let You're me not know alone. if I need to slow down. I pity the people who listen to my podcast on double speed. <laughs> Well, before we begin, I always like to get to know our guests. Can you share a little bit about yourself? So like a lot of people, uh, my first jobs were in help desk type environments, and I had a brief stint working at an IT call center in a corporate environment before I moved on to work uh, help desk type roles at the university. And I worked my way up to becoming a web developer. Uh, just before jumping into ServiceNow, I was doing full stack web development, creating various business apps, as you say, for the various departments at the university. Just curious, what technologies were you using for the web development? Uh, mostly, we had a Java stack, though we had a couple of Perl and PHP legacy apps here and there. Wow, that's some yeah. hardcore stuff. <laughs> web development at its finest. Yeah. Fun question, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, that changed. I mean, um, developer was probably one of them, but, but kind of later in the years, um, some of my other options were to be a teacher and to be a writer. All right. And mm. you still have those opportunities. You can write a blog and you can teach others. Hey, how's that for sharing your information? You're part of the community. You're a developer MEP. You must be giving back in some way. So you're doing the teaching that way. Yes, I still enjoy doing those activities, so I definitely still do them in some way. And when you're not at work, what do you enjoy doing? So before the pandemic, uh, my husband and I used to like to travel quite a bit. And even though travel opened up again now, it's harder for me to get away these days because I've become an essential caregiver to my two elderly parents. So I've had to be extra careful. But over the pandemic, I picked up uh, an interest in creative writing again. Ah. So I've been doing a little bit of that writing and taking writing courses. I'm wrapping up a course right now on poetry, which I'm finding quite the challenge. Um, so yeah, that's been my big interest these days. I was going to ask, do you have a particular genre of interest that you gravitate towards? Definitely not poetry, but I was taking that course to kind of try and broaden my horizon in the writing space. <laughs> And it's good to have that experience. It's a, it's a lot like software development. You, know, you, you did PHP. 
you may not be doing PHP today, but you certainly learned a lot from it, right? That, that you can take forward and go, these kind of patterns or these kind of structures lend themselves well, and I can reuse that over and over. Yes, absolutely. You pick up these transferable pieces of, of skills and experiences. Do you remember the release you started on? When did you first get started on ServiceNow? What was the release? I started on Geneva. I think Fuji was still around and it was just being upgraded to Geneva. So when I got on my first platform, it was on Geneva. So somewhere in that 2015, 2016 timeframe? Yeah. All right. See, I still remember when my releases came out. That's very impressive. (laughs) It was much easier when they said, you know, spring 2008. Well, Nia, you mentioned a number of things in the past that you did. How has ServiceNow changed your career? Um, being a ServiceNow developer has been really great for my career. Uh, the platform has grown so much and has become a valuable tool and a key platform at our campus, which means that I'm especially valued for my expertise and my work on the platform. And also, uh, the job market for ServiceNow skills is incredibly hot right now. Um, which is great for folks who have ServiceNow skills, including me. And because I've enjoyed working on the platform so much, I've enjoyed sharing what I know. I've been able to build a kind of brand for myself. I mean, to be able to be on this podcast with Chuck Tomasi, I mean, that speaks for itself. <laughs> Nia, tell me what you like about working in the higher ed sector. I'll be honest here and say that I've worked in higher ed at my current university for the last, uh, I don't know, 16 of my 17-year career, so I don't have a ton of experience outside of the higher ed environment. Heck, I don't have a ton of experience outside of my particular higher ed environment, but compared to my brief stint in corporate, working in higher ed feels more chill. Uh, There's less pressure. You know, there's no sales targets or profit margins to hit. There's no bottom line in that sense. Um, So to a certain extent, I get to set my own goals. Uh, Another interesting tidbit might be that I work in a unionized environment, which may be a bit foreign to some people. It has its pros and cons. Um, Being part of a union means I don't have performance reviews and I don't get performance bonuses. Um, I was talking to a friend who works in corporate about this recently, and she was flabbergasted and wondered how people stay motivated when there are no reviews or bonuses. And for me, that motivation has had to come from within. It's more about what I want to achieve and how much I want to push myself. Almost like the Star Trek principle. We're We're not motivated by money anymore. We're just motivated by personal motivation to better ourselves. All right, that was a nerd reference. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to throw some of those out. <laughs> Next question. What have you learned working in higher ed that you wish non-higher ed companies could do to improve their company, their developer experience, and so on? As I mentioned, unfortunately, I have limited experience in other higher ed orgs because um, I've been loyal to the one that I've worked for for so long. Um, so I'll refer to a blog post that Ashley Snyder Uh, has on the Women Now dev site where she talks about her experience in various higher ed organizations. And what she said resonated with me. She said that working at a university isn't a job where you're handed a story and all you need to do is write some code. A developer at a university really has to wear their architect, developer, and business analyst hats to get the job done, which makes for a more robust developer who can anticipate customer needs and communicate them in terms they can understand. That lines up 
quite well with the experience that I've had so far. So I guess for companies who don't really offer it, find opportunities to um, get your developers to do and own other tasks and projects that will make them a more well-rounded developer. I love it because anybody who is just taking requirements and implementing these, I've said this before, if you're just robotically turning technical requirements into technical solutions, you're not doing your job. You're not adding value. I can outsource that to somebody else for probably half the price. What you do to bring value is add a voice, look for those conflicts. Sometimes requirements conflict with each other. Sometimes there's open gaps. Sometimes there's things that you will see that they don't. It's like, they'll write a requirement about an approval and you'll say, well, what if, or what happens when, uh, let's let's walk through a day in the life of, that's where you add value. I was doing that with a customer just yesterday. They were implementing one of my applications and they said, well, how do we get it to do this? I said, well, we've got a couple options. Let's talk about that for a minute. What are you looking to do? So that's where you have to sort of move into that architect analyst role to really add value. You hit it on the head that anybody who isn't doing this should be doing this. Absolutely. If you understand the context that you're working in, you can add value by providing options. Like you said, if you understand the context, you can say, well, maybe you can do it this way instead of the way you asked for, because it'll help you better in, you know, some sense. If you are allowed to share, what projects are you working on at the moment? So these days, I don't do as much development on key features and apps anymore. Uh, we've had some turnover on the team, so I'm working on training and ramping up new team members. But if I had to mention one cool thing that uh, my university community is working on, it would be a payment integration that we're developing. So we looked outside to see if there was a store app, a share app, couldn't find anything um, for the for the payment provider that we were using. Yep. And the initial use case for this was for students to log into ServiceNow and request late registration, uh, for which the university charges a small fee. Mm -hmm. Integration allows the students to submit their request into ServiceNow and then redirect them to the payment system so a student can pay their fees by credit card and have it inform the platform that the student has paid so that the fulfillers can then proceed with that request. The integration is built flexibly so that we can use it in the future for other campus services that we offer and not just the late registration service. And actually, this app was built by one of our citizen developers, uh, but we're excited to be able to use it across the campus and not for just that one department. So my role was to advise on some aspects of the design, uh, and I'll be reviewing the code and the configs before it goes to production, which should be very soon. That is awesome. And it seems like a fairly common use case. I believe there was a hackathon project years ago with a payment provider. And I'm kind of surprised that we don't have a spoke or something in the platform to do that yet. Yeah. I've got a call coming up with one of our VPs. I need to stick this in there. Is, is this anywhere on the radar? You know, whether it's payment service A or B or C, it, it needs to be there. It really does. I thought about... Um adding our integration or our app into the um, share, but we'll see what kind of um, <laughs> shape it's in. No promises. <laughs> is it a spoke or is it scripted? Currently it's scripted. Okay. Does it have the potential to be a spoke? I have to look at the code again. I, I don't know yet. I haven't quite reviewed the code just yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm just 
thinking about it, as I just recently wrote a new spoke of our own for meetup.com integration that, uh, you know, comes around like, I don't ever want to maintain this again. Just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm maintaining somebody else's old code that did, it was, it was pre-integration hub to tell you how old it was. And they had handwritten the pagination to get pages and pages of records. That's what you had oh, to do word. not too long ago. Now we've got data stream actions. Like, tell me what the token is and where the next page is, and away we go. There it goes in a for loop. So it's really easy to do. You, know, you always got to be thinking about those maintenance things down the road. That's another thing to think about as a developer and an architect is, am I writing something that is maintainable later? It's really easy to fall back on the old scripting habits and go, I'm going to bang this out in some code, and away we go. If you spend an extra 30% of your time building it in a low-code or no-code way, please do. It will save you hundreds and hundreds of percent later. That is one of the things that I love about ServiceNow that can also be challenging at times, that the platform is continuously growing and adding new features. And so, you know, before it might have been all scripted and now you can convert it to a flow designer um, and it's easier to maintain. And like you said, it, it's it's probably worth that time to invest to, to do that conversion. Oh, I am always looking for an excuse to use Decision Builder now. It is just so cool. I, you know, the original assignment rules or incident priority, that kind of thing, that can all be a decision table now. Uh, I was talking to th that same team yesterday about that app that I wrote, and I went, based on where they want to pick up this laptop, who it gets assigned to, and who gets to approve it, like, that's a decision table. Let's go build that right now. And it becomes so trivial to update it in the future. So, yeah, you got to keep on top of those release notes. You're right. It, it can be a challenge. Yeah, I haven't looked at the decision builder yet, but now it's on my list. Releases, news, events. How does Nia stay on top of all this ServiceNow information? Oof, that's difficult. Um, keeping, keeping up with ServiceNow information is a challenge because the platform, like I said, is growing so fast. Yep. There's constantly new features being introduced. And that's a great thing, but also a challenge for somebody who's learning to keep up. Um, I subscribe to the ServiceNow YouTube channel. There's a few of them. Um, I think ServiceNow Developer is one of them, ServiceNow Support. Um, there's a few. You'll find it if you, you Google in, on YouTube. Uh, I lurk in the SN Dev Slack channel. I listen to this podcast when I can, and I'm also signed up for various ServiceNow mailing lists where I get emails about upcoming webinars and things like that. I'd say those are probably my current main sources of information right now. Good stuff. There's a lot to absorb. You know, we've got the release notes for the releases. I don't know if you're one of these people that sit down and read them end to end or download the PDF and read it later uh, or just spot check it or, or watch the highlight videos and go, hey, Tech Now covered a lot of stuff in, in an hour. I'll start with that uh, and then get deeper on, on the topics that I need to drill into. Every time I sign up for a ServiceNow um, webinar event, there's a little checkbox at the bottom that says, you know, do you want to subscribe to um, other you know, emails and informations and webinars from ServiceNow? And I always check that box. <laughs> I believe Jace Benson has a good collection of third-party resources, podcasts, and videos, and uh, uh, content that is also good. I, if it's not Jace, I'm going to find out who it is and put it in the show notes. 
So there are collections of these. So you don't have to go hunting around and go, oh, I saw that on LinkedIn, but who sent that? And what was it called? There are also a large number of other video channels that I have found. Like you said, if you search for ServiceNow on YouTube, you will get at least six, eight, 10 different channels that are regularly producing content. And I find there's lots of little hidden nuggets in there. Thank you for that reminder. Yes, Jace does have um, an excellent news aggregator, which I have used in the past. I think Jace.pro. You got to admire his simplicity for the URL. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Nia, what is the best career advice you've ever received? So this one comes to mind because it's something that I just happened upon recently, and it came from the creative writing side of my world. But I think it was a good reminder. And It applies to other contexts, too. I was reading an article about Mm self-promotion and how writers struggle with doing it. I suspect that this is probably a common problem amongst non-writers, but particularly amongst women and people of color and other minorities. I'm sure there must be HBR articles about it. Um, The the particular article that I read recently suggested that it might help to think of self-promotion differently. Uh, rather than thinking of self-promotion like you're a sleazy used car salesperson trying to push the cars on your lot to people, think of it <laughs> as though you've prepared a meal and you're inviting people into your home to share this delicious meal with you. Because when you share content you've created, you're putting yourself out there and you're sharing your knowledge with the community. Um, maybe you've created a blog post or you answered something on the community recently. Um, it's it's not bad or self-centered to, to share what you've done on social media or in the SN Dev Slack channel. Um, it's not bad to think that others might benefit from what you've learned. And if you share your success, maybe you're inspiring someone else and helping them believe that they can do it too. I like that. That uh, share the meal is is a whole lot better than what you said, the sleazy car salesman, which immediately evoked images. Come on down to Crazy Chuck's content. I've got podcasts. I've got videos. I got live streams. You want to know about JavaScript? We got that at a low, low price of free. Yeah, you know how sometimes when you think about self-promotion, that's that's the, the feeling that comes to mind. And it, it really shouldn't. It helps to reframe that. Yeah, and, and it really is important to your career to share that information, to let the world know, hey, this is what I'm capable of, because those are going to lead to career opportunities. Those, uh, I Not a day goes by, and I'm sure this is true for you too, you get on LinkedIn, and what's some of the first stuff you see? Someone earned this uh, certification. They're, they're posting this stuff because A, they're proud of this accomplishment, as you should be. Some of these take months and months to achieve. Certified master architect, certified technical architect. These are profound certifications. But if nobody knows you've done that accomplishment, you've written that blog, you've made that video, if nobody knows it's out there, it's not going to do much good. Like you said, it's going to be a cold meal on the table with nobody sitting around eating it. Exactly. Okay, flip question. What is the worst career advice you've been given? That's also a difficult question, but uh, generally I think anything that's overly specific and, and like uh, absolute, I'd be wary of. So things like, you know, if you want to succeed as a ServiceNow developer, 
you have to know every part of the platform or perhaps the opposite, right? If you want to succeed as a ServiceNow developer, you have to specialize in one part of the platform. And, you know, while those types of advice might absolutely be applicable to some people and perhaps to a lot of people, it's hardly ever the case that they apply to 100% of the situations. More often than not, they should be taken in context of your situation. Wonderful information. And it reminds me of an analogy that we've heard recently called the T-shaped employee, where you're broad across a lot of disciplines. Like I know a little bit about discovery. I know a little bit about ITSM, but I'm really deep on integrations or something of that nature. So it's good to have that vast knowledge, but your specialty lies in service portal or integrations or whatever it is so that you can present yourself as that authority. So great advice. Yeah, watch out for those absolutes. All right, we talked a little bit about this before. Nia, what would you consider your greatest achievement in your career so far? I'd have to say that becoming a ServiceNow Dev MVP two years in a row and being on this podcast is very hard to top right now. I'm proud and so grateful to have been a part of the Dev MVP program. I've learned so much from the other Dev MVPs and from Dev advocates like yourself. As we record this, and it's going to be released end of December, our call for MVPs is still open and through December 31st. So if you haven't done so already and you are considering this, go to devlink.sn slash 2023-mvp-call. I will have a link in the show notes. Don't worry if you didn't get that. devlink.sn slash 2023-mvp-call. In fact, the promo, I think Tom's voice came on. If you're listening to this before January 1st, 2023, you already heard it. You can go back and rewind and listen to that. If you are giving back to the community, you have the possibility of being a ServiceNow developer MVP for 2023 and reaping some of these rewards. What are some of the rewards you've reaped? So there are so many people in that Dev MVP community that share content on our little um, Slack group. And it's just absolutely priceless. The, the learning that you can get from the other Dev MVPs is incredible. It really is. I go there occasionally when I'm too embarrassed to ask a public question. <laughs> like, has anybody ever done this? It's like, yes, yes, Chuck. Bootstrap works this way, remember? They're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got that. So, yeah, a lot of smart people. It also, I would say it elevates your career, elevates your visibility in the community. Uh, some of our MVPs ended up on, like, this photo wall in the CreatorCon space at Knowledge last year and in the keynote speech. Like, we did a photo shoot Sarah and Travis Tolson, Maria Gabriella, uh, Eric Reimer, uh, Sharon Barnes, a whole bunch of them had their photos on the wall and they became celebrities in their own right. Hey, can I get a picture of you next to your picture? <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a fun thing. It, 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 it turns them into the celebrities, the heroes that they really are. Yeah, thank you for that reminder. That's definitely also a perk of being a developer MVP. I mean, um, you get opportunities that you might not otherwise as a dev MVP. And so if you're interested in applying, like Chuck said, those applications are going to be open. And if you're hearing this before the end of 2022, do consider applying for the program because it is a really great program. And if even if you don't think you're available to uh, get nominated or, or accepted in 2023, you can now start working towards that. You know, go to meetups, present at meetups, 
submit a proposal for CreatorCon. There's all these giving back opportunities that don't take a huge amount of effort. They just take some conscious thought, and then you can apply to be an MVP for the next year. What words of advice do you have for new developers who may be listening to this? I think I'd reiterate the importance of networking and putting yourself out there. I'm sure other uh, guests on this podcast have probably highlighted this in the past. Um, Get involved in the ServiceNow community. It is a nice community. Share your knowledge with people. Get to know the people in the community. It's a good starting point to find other resources that may help you with your more specific goals in ServiceNow career. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Nia. And before we leave, can you let the listener know how to get in touch with you? So Twitter, for whatever reason, has been my social media platform of choice. But in light of recent news, I may or may not need to find a new platform. Um, For now, you can still find me on Twitter at Nima Cash. I am also on LinkedIn. I don't log in as often, but feel free to reach out to me there. If you do send a connection request, it would be helpful to know that you listen to this podcast. It's always good to know um, who you are and why you're trying to connect with me. I think that's what my sticker said that we had made for uh, CreatorCon. I heard it on Breakpoint. Thank you, Nia, and thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Don't forget to check out the other ServiceNow podcasts. You can find them all at servicenow.com slash community under the events menu. And you can subscribe to any of them, all of them, or this one if you just prefer, for absolutely free. Use whatever podcasting client you want. Look on Apple, look on Google, look on Amazon, Spotify. They're all out there to have them automatically delivered to you. Breakpoint is brought to you by ServiceNow. Executive producer is me, Chuck Tomasi. Video and captions by Earl Duque. And to find out more about the ServiceNow developer program, head over to developer.servicenow.com. Again, thank you so much for sharing with us today, Nia. Thank you, Chuck. It's been a pleasure. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. The little wheels on the cassette deck weren't spinning. Well, today's guest shares us her story. No, shares us. You see how that goes? Sometimes you read things out loud and you go, that that was terrible. Who wrote this? What was I drinking that night? When you miss the word developer, it's kind of important. You almost had it. Devlink.sn slash call. No, do that again. Go to devlink.sn slash 2023-call-mvp. I said mvp-call. Darn it. Now I get, I'm going to have to record this yet again. Devlink.sn 2023. It's mvp-call. Rewind the brain. I mean, the first time for everything is always nerve-wracking. It's, oh, I'm a lot of, at a loss for words. What am I trying to say? I like that. That's good. That's very cool.